0: All Souls Church, hey, Pastor Harvey here, and we are uh, about to get into the sermon here in just a moment. I do want to tell you about something that is coming up here in our church uh, here in the next couple of weeks. So in a couple of weeks here uh, is what uh, many churches refer to as Ash Wednesday. And what it is, it's the beginning of 40 days that leads up to Easter and a season that many churches will refer to as Lent. So as I've told you before, a lot of times non-denominational and Baptist churches Uh, don't do Lent, although some Baptist churches do, and some non-denominational churches do. But many uh, Protestant traditions do as well, Presbyterians and Anglicans and Lutherans and Episcopalians and Methodists. We could continue going on. But the idea, the the beauty of it, and the history of the church has been this. uh, Waiting and anticipating and focusing in on Easter and then having a season of prayer and repentance, and focus on God as we await Easter to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And so that's what Lent is. And so just so you know that 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 is going to be coming up here in a couple of weeks. We're going to give you more information about it. There's also going to be 40 days of prayer that we're going to do through text message as we did before. And uh, so look forward to doing that with you as well. All right, with that, let's uh, now take our uh, attention to the scriptures and go ahead and get into the sermon. Uh, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to start at verse 16, Matthew 19, verse 16. And uh, we're going to go ahead and read it now, and then we'll get into the text. Matthew 19, 16, and behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what Good deed must I do to have eternal life. And he said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands for My namesake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we now uh, turn our attention to learn from your word, and we pray that you would teach us and instruct us. Uh, Fill me with the Spirit. uh, Fill me with clarity from the Holy Spirit on what this text is saying. And Lord, uh, may you reveal yourself to all who listen. Lord Jesus, we want to see you, and we want to experience you, and we want to hear from you from this text. So uh, come, Lord Jesus, come Holy Spirit and do this work. And we pray it in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're uh, here in Matthew, and we're in this series called The Controversial Christ. And so what we're looking at each week is things that Jesus said and did that were very controversial in His day, and actually they're very controversial in our day. And today, uh, this the, the kind of controversy is this: that salvation is impossible, that human beings cannot make themselves whole, human beings cannot save themselves, human beings cannot work themselves out of the situation that they're in. Everybody who is a human being knows what it's like to be one, to, to feel the weight of your own brokenness, to live in a broken world, to not be able to live up to your own ideals, not to be able to live up to your own standards, and then also you have God's ideals and God's standards, and of course we can't live up to those as well, and so what do we do with that? If we cannot save ourselves, if salvation is impossible for us, what do we do with that? Well, this text answers that question and answers a bunch of questions. Uh, Let me give you a few questions that this text answers, because one of these questions might be your question. Uh, First question, what is the connection between this world and the new world? Uh, Does how we live here really matter? Isn't God just going to save us all anyway? If the heavenly afterlife is real, how do we enter it? What will stop us from entering the kingdom of God? What will there be for those of us who who gave until it hurt? Is there hope for those who can't seem to get our act together? And then the last question is, can human beings be salvaged or saved? So this passage will be a huge encouragement to you uh, if you are a, a Christian, if you're truly a Christian, you've been saved by God and born again. Uh, if y- this passage might terrify you <laughs> if you're not, uh, and it also might terrify you if you maybe you are a Christian but you don't have assurance, in other words, you haven't pressed it up in enough to your faith and the grace of God to, to feel the assurance inside of you that you are saved by God. So, this passage is actually designed <laughs> to get us lost so that we can get found, it's designed to break us down so that we can be saved, and it comes out of a real-life situation that Jesus encountered, a very powerful situation that very much mirrors the world in which we live in, especially here in the United States. So uh, if my title is Salvation is Impossible, here's my main point, and it just comes from the words of Jesus in this text. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into the story here, and we'll break it down. Verse 16, and behold, a man came to him saying, Uh, a lot of times in the scripture, you'll have this word behold. It's supposed to like draw your attention, like watch this. Look at this. This guy is coming. This young man comes up to Jesus, and this young man uh, says to Jesus, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now This story is often referred to as the story of the rich young ruler, and he, is, he was a real guy, and he, but he's also a picture of so many of us, especially those of us who live in wealthy United States, to be somebody who is incredibly wealthy on world standards, even if you're poor in the United States standards, and what does that mean? to your own spiritual life. And even if you're on the poorer side of the United States, it will be a challenge to you as well. It's a challenge to everybody who is hearing it. Uh, So this young man comes and he says to Jesus, he calls him teacher, okay? So he's addressing Jesus as a a good teacher. You're a wise teacher, you're teaching the way of God. and, And of course, Jesus is very popular and famous at this point in his ministry. So this rich young ruler wants to get in good with Jesus, and he wants to make sure that he is secure. He wants to be noticed by Jesus, but he also wants to be noticed by others, and he wants to make sure that he's done everything that he can to save himself, to create salvation for himself. And so this uh, rich young ruler says, What good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now let's break that down for just a second what good deed must I do? Okay. In other words, in his mind, salvation is something that you earn. Salvation is something that you create. Salvation is something that humans are capable of doing. Uh, He doesn't understand the inability of humans yet. And this is what Jesus is going to introduce to him: is the inability of humans. So we as humans, you know, we think that we are so sufficient and strong. Uh, but what Jesus wants to show is that in regard to the things that matter hundred years from now, we don't have any abilities. Uh, even if you're wealthy and powerful like this young man, you don't have the ability. So he's looking for a good deed. What's the good deed that I could do now? the fact we're going to find out in a moment that he's very very wealthy. And so it's probably likely that he's kind of uh you know baiting Jesus a little bit to say, "Hey, what how much money could I give to get salvation? How much what's the good thing that I could do that I will be noticed by you and by others, but also that God will accept me? I have a lot of money here. I could put it your way, Jesus, and I I could really fund your ministry." And so What's the good deed, wink, wink, that I must do to have eternal life? In other words, he's trying to buy salvation, in a sense. Uh, he probably thinks that Jesus is some kind of prophet that can, has an end with God, and he thinks that if I can go to him and, and uh, do this good deed, maybe through money, that uh, that will ensure that I'm good with God and I will have eternal life. And that's the other thing that he wants. He wants to have eternal life. Just like he has so many things in his wealth, he wants to have that. As well, now eternal life—it's uh, it, kind of a confusing topic and term. But so a lot of people, when they think of eternal life, they think of the afterlife. They think of the new heavens and the new earth, and that's good. You can—that's that, true. But eternal life is also something that begins now as you encounter Jesus. Uh, so you enter into a life that is eternal. Jesus is the one with the eternal life. You enter into His life by grace, and that's what eternal life is all about. Of course, this rich young man does not understand that. He thinks that eternal life is some kind of reward for being good, for doing better than other people, some kind of earning sort of situation. So he's all in the place of, what can I do? How can I earn this? How can I get this thing called eternal life that he had heard Jesus talk about? Now look at verse 17. And he said to him, this is Jesus talking, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. In other words, he's saying, why are you asking me this question? Is it because you think that I know what's good? And then he says this, there's only one who's good. Of course, Jesus is talking about God. Now, we understand as we read the story um, that Jesus is God. He is the second person of the Trinity, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God the Son one God in three persons, and so Jesus is God. And we understand that, but this rich young guy didn't. What Jesus is saying to him is, who do you, why are you asking me what is good? Is it because you recognize who I really am? Or is it because you have some kind of other motive or something else that is going on? And so he's, he asked the question not for his own sake. Jesus isn't asking for information here. He's asking so the rich young ruler could, could go, Yeah, why? What is the good? Who is good? What is good? And then Jesus says this, there's only one who is good. Now that's kind of hard for us as humans to swallow, to think that only God is good. That at least in this sense, on a human-to-human sense, we could say, ah, this person's good, this person's bad, would probably be wrong most of the time. But from the standpoint of who God is and who we are as humans, Jesus is saying only God is good and that humans are not good. Humans are broken. Now, there is a sense where humans are valuable, created in the image of God, that humans matter. And there is goodness within humans because we're created in the image of God. But we're not good in the way that God is good, in the way of of holiness and perfection. All of us are flawed and broken. And if you don't know that about yourself, you're just not paying attention, or you're deluding yourself, or you're ignoring the facts. We all know that there is deep brokenness in us, and hiding from it doesn't make it any better. Um, And so Jesus says this to the rich young man, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. That's an interesting reply. Because if somebody came to the average Christian in America right now and said, what do I need to do to gain eternal life? That's not what we would say. (laughs) We would say, here's what you do. You pray this prayer and you accept God into your heart by faith and and whatnot. But, But here's the thing, and here's why that's probably not the best way to approach it. People have to get lost before they get found. This young man doesn't understand that he's lost. He thinks, I'm wealthy, I'm rich, I'm powerful, I just want to make sure I got my ticket to heaven. What Jesus is doing is so brilliant here, and it's actually what God does throughout the entire scriptures with His law. He gives the law. And and what happens to us as humans is we get the law, and we go, oh, the law must be a ladder to climb into heaven. But that's not why God gave us the law. God gave us the law after we had already fallen into sin. In fact, Adam and Eve have one law, and they broke it. But he, He gives us the law to point out two things. He gives us the law to point out who He is. The law is a reflection of His character. But He also points it out to show us who we are. So in that sense, the law is like a mirror. It shows us who we are, and then it's also a window that we can gaze into who God is in His holiness. And what happens is, is what the law shows us is the distance between who God is and who we are. And so if you look at the law as a way to climb into heaven to earn favor with God, you're always going to misunderstand God's law. And so Jesus says, keep the commandments, keep the law here, not because he thinks that that is the way that this guy is going to inherit eternal life, but he knows that this guy has to be broken down. He has to get lost before he gets found. And what the law does is the law breaks a person down. See, if you approach Christianity as a way to prove yourself, you're going to have a great misunderstanding about it, and you're always going to be frustrated. And what Jesus is pointing out is that Christianity is not about proving yourself or earning anything with God. That Christianity is about being rescued. It's about being saved by somebody, about being forgiven by somebody, by God. All right, so he says, keep the commandments. So the young man says, Which ones? Which commandments? And Jesus said, well, let me give you a few. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what Jesus does here is he takes... Uh, In the Ten Commandments, you have two sections of the Ten Commandments. You have the first four that are about our relationship with God, and you have the last six that are about our relationships with each other. What this young man was doing is saying, I'm a holy, pious, good man. I've kept the law. He, He says, I've been keeping these things, and just a moment we'll see, all of my life. And what Jesus wants him to see is that, no, you have not. Now, but here's the reality. Even as Jesus points these things out, this young man doesn't get it. Uh, He may or may not have heard Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where Jesus takes things like adultery and He says, well, if you've lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery. Or like murder and said, if you've hated somebody, you've murdered. And so what Jesus is trying to do is say, if you've kept the law, then you can have eternal life. And what He's hoping that the young man will do is go, well, I haven't. Who's kept the law? If that's the way to eternal life, then nobody can enter. But look at what this young man says. All these I have kept. What do I still lack? He's deluded. He actually thinks that he's kept God's law and thought and word and deed throughout his entire life and that he, he's doing it well. Or, you know, there was a sense in which the, the Jewish people would think of keeping the law like in the same way you would keep you know, sheep or keep chickens or like an animal or something like you keep it and you nurture it and it's part of your life and whatnot. And so there's that sense in keeping the law, uh, which he might be kind of thinking. But he also seems to be thinking that God will grade on some kind of curve. Of course, he doesn't think I'm actually perfect in every single way. But what he does understand, what he does think about himself is, no, I pretty much generally do the law. I I, I generally keep the law. I'm not in need of anything. You know, I've, I've done it all, Lord. And, um, and what he doesn't understand is that the law does not grade on a curve. Uh, the law doesn't, isn't about like, oh, these humans are better than those humans, so these humans will get in and those humans will not. Uh, the law doesn't work in a way where you say, well, I'm better than most, so that means I will be saved. And usually that's just in your own mind that you're better than most. Uh, The law works this way. It's either 100% perfection every day, hour, and minute of your life, or you need a Savior. So, uh, have you kept the law every day, every hour, and every minute of your life? If not, uh, you're going to need a Savior. Another way to think about this is this. God does not accept credit, okay? Okay. He doesn't accept extra credit. So if you've broken the law, you know, you do a few good things to earn things back and get your extra credit, and and now I'm back in. God doesn't accept uh, credit from your grandma. Oh, my grandma was a Christian, my mom was a Christian, you know, so I'm kind of in on this thing. That's not how this whole thing works. You don't, like, absorb the holiness of people in the past generations, and that gets you in, uh, which is also a common misunderstanding to this day. And and God doesn't uh, accept you because a a pastor or a priest or something like that puts in a good word for you. And so this guy has all kinds of misunderstanding uh, of what the law is there to do. So that begs the question, why then the law? Why did God give the law? Well, there's usually uh, three ways in which we think about why God gave the law. The first is uh, the, the Christian use. This is that mirror that I talked about, like it reveals to you uh, what is broken about you. And then what that mirror does is, if you can imagine, it's an arrow-shaped mirror that is pointing somewhere, it's pointing to Jesus. So you see how broken you are, and then you see that it points you to your need for Jesus. So that's the first use of the law. Second use of the law is just for civil uh, use, you know, do not murder. And it affirms what humans already know, that we shouldn't kill each other third use of the law would be a path to walk on. But none of those uses of the law is a ladder. See, the law is not a ladder to climb your way into heaven. The law is there for completely other reasons. And this young man does not understand that. Think of it this way. Uh, A few years ago, when we still lived in Reno, uh, my wife started a garden. And so we had like a raised garden bed. And we planted some tomatoes, some jalapenos, some habaneros, some cucumbers, and you know we planted a bunch of stuff out there. But in order for her to do that, in, in Reno, the, the soil is very hard. It's a dry climate, and uh, it's just a, a kind of a different scenario there. And so what she had to do is she couldn't just take the, you know, the seedlings and throw them on top of the hard soil. What she had to do is she had to break up the soil, add fertilizer, you know, uh, but she even had to put, I think, like uh, bat poop on top to make sure that there's plenty of nutrients in the soil. And then she took the seedlings and planted those into the ground. Well, that's how the law works, is the law breaks up the soil of our heart. It breaks up the soil of our heart by showing us our need for God. So when you hear God's law, yes, it can be an instruction on how to live. That's the third use of the law. But you also need to hear God's law and go, man, I can't do that. I can't live up to that. I can't be perfect in keeping God's commands every day of my life. And then, you know, he gives some of the Ten Commandments, Jesus does, but then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Who can keep that one? None of us can keep it. Is it the true way to live? Absolutely. Can any of us do that perfectly? Absolutely not. Um, so and another thing that we're, we, we see here is this, that Jesus takes that part of the law that has to do with neighbors and points those things out to him. You see, this guy was a guy that, you know, he had his own personal piety going on, his prayer life. His, he probably memorized scripture and did all this, but he's an extremely wealthy person and he's greedy and he doesn't use his wealth to take care of others. And what he should have understood from God's law, that if you are wealthy, you have an obligation to care for others. That God did not give you that wealth for yourself. It's not supposed to terminate on you. God gave you that wealth so that you can share it, so that you can bless others, so you can care for others. And of course, there's nothing wrong with using some of the wealth for yourself. Uh, That's also, God wants to bless you in that way. But if you use it all for yourself... Uh, you have neglected your neighbor. And so Jesus points out the part of the Ten Commandments that's all about neighbors because this guy had missed loving his neighbors. Uh, The other thing is this guy did not believe or understand justification by faith alone. What I mean is this. Justification is this idea of becoming right with God, to become just with God. Um, He thought, I get just with God by earning it, by doing good deeds, by giving the right money to the right people by obeying the rules and the laws, by looking very holy and being very whatever. That's that 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 was his idea of how you get right with God. But he should have known in reading the Old Testament that the only way that anybody in the whole story of the Old Testament got right with God was by faith. And then once they exercised that faith, then their life begins to grow and change, and obedience starts to come out of their life towards the law. And so what Jesus does here is this. He ratchets the law up. So He gives them all these laws, and then He says, love your neighbor uh, from the Ten Commandments. Then He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And then He goes one further. Check this out. Um, Jesus said to him, verse 21, "'If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor.'" and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. So here's what Jesus does. He ratchets the law. To ratchet up, you know, like you put, I don't know much about tools, but you ratchet things, and it goes up and up and up and up. Well, Jesus is doing that. He says, well, the Ten Commandments. Well, I've done those. Okay, love your neighbor or yourself. Well, I did that too. Okay, all right. If you want to be perfect, here's what you lack. Go take everything you own, all of your wealth, sell all of it, and then give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. Then you'll have eternal life. Now, Jesus is doing a couple of things here. He's ratcheting the law up another level for this guy. Now, Jesus is not commanding here that every Christian needs to sell everything they own and give it to the poor. This is something that Jesus said to this guy on this day, because this guy was not going to truly follow God until he understood that he was broken. He needed to understand that he can't uh, fulfill the law. He can't become perfect. And so Jesus gives him a command that he knew he would not fulfill. This man was wealthy and greedy, and yet put on a pious uh, a religious face. And so Jesus breaks him down, and he ratchets that law up to the point where the rich young ruler is crushed by the law. How do we know? How do I know that he was crushed by the law? Look at verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He said, no, nah, I can't do that. In other words, he wanted to pose as if he was a very righteous, holy man. He wanted, you know, I, I love God and I pray and I do all. And, but Jesus points out to him, You don't even love your neighbors. And you definitely don't love your neighbor as yourself. And the real issue is that you're greedy. And you think that you deserve the wealth that you have. And you've taken the wealth and you've kept it all for yourself and not given it out to people who were in need. Um, And so what Jesus is doing here is he's breaking this man down and he goes away sorrowful. Now, we don't know what happens with this guy. Does he get broken down and then come to salvation once he comes to the full realization that he can't, merit God's love and favor? I I certainly hope so. Um, I think there's a good possibility that that ends up happening, but we just don't know. Um, What this guy didn't understand, what he was thinking is probably, is that I'm probably better than other people and all I need is a few extra things and I should be good and, and God will accept me and I get to be part of the kingdom of God and I get to go to heaven. Uh, if I just do a few extra things. But what he doesn't understand is that those few extra things, even if it was true, doesn't make any difference in regard to who God is. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, if you and I were to go over to the Santa Monica Pier and uh, we were to do a c- competition, we took the end off the pier, the, the fence thing, and we say, okay, here's, here's the challenge. We want to jump off the Santa Monica Pier to Hawaii. Okay? So uh, you go and you run and you jump and you do pretty well. You get out a few feet and you didn't get to white, okay? But what you didn't know when I challenged you to this is that I won the state championship in long jump. Now, I've gained a few pounds since then and I don't got the hops that I used to at 45, but I think I could still probably out jump most of you, okay? Now, let's say I jump another few feet past where you jump. I didn't make it to Hawaii either. This is what we all need to understand. Uh, That, yeah, one person might be slightly, you know, more obedient than another person, but none of that can get you to Hawaii, okay? To get to Hawaii, you have to go from Santa Monica over to LAX, get on a plane, and sit down while the jet does all the work and takes you to Hawaii and you land. That's the gospel. The gospel is we get on the jet of God's love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And that carries us all the way there. And that's what this young man didn't understand. So Jesus has given him the law to break him down, to get him lost so that he might get found. And so the question for us is this. Have you come to the end of yourself? Have you come to the point where you you know that you cannot save yourself? Not only for salvation, but you can't improve yourself. You can't fix yourself. Have you come to the point of helplessness? That's what God's law is designed to do. And usually what God will do is, by His law, He'll bring us to the point of helplessness, or He will allow suffering in our life to bring us to the point of helplessness. And both of those things put us in a place where we understand that we need grace. That we need God to do it. To God to come and save us. And so that's what Jesus is doing uh, with this young man. Now, that begs a bunch of questions, and the apostles pick up on it. Verse 23 And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, with di- difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so it's going to be very hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. So if you're a wealthy person, you need to know that Jesus is not joking here. And basically, if you're an American, you are a wealthy person, and Jesus is not. It is difficult for Americans to enter the kingdom of heaven, is another way to look at that. Uh, Because we are so wealthy, we don't even understand. We don't even know how wealthy we are. And yet, with all the wealth that we have, there are people dying every day, starving to death. Uh, Why is that? It's because of the brokenness within humanity, that we are inherently greedy. Let me give you a few stats. The top 1% of wealthiest people in the world own 43% of the total wealth on planet Earth. The top 1% own 43% of the total wealth on planet Earth. Now, for the United States, 70% of the wealth in this country is owned by 10% of the people. Now, if you can imagine that, the wealthiest country in the world, and 70% of that wealth is owned by the top 10% of people. And uh, the other factor in that whole thing is that bottom 25% doesn't hardly even scratch the surface with percentages in owning wealth in this country. Uh, Another interesting fact along these lines, billionaires pay a lower percentage in tax than single moms on average. Not, not by dollar amount, but by uh, percentage. There's something deeply wrong here. But how did it get that way? Well, who, how did the laws get written that way? How did the loopholes happen? Well, if you're a billionaire, you can lobby people, you can hire lawyers, you can work the system, and you can gain more wealth yourself. And who suffers? The people at the bottom. Okay, I'm going somewhere with this. Uh, the median income per person in the U.S. is $32,000. Now in LA it would be much higher, but that's just in the United States. Uh, so think about that. There uh, There's people with 70% of the wealth, and then there is the median person at $32,000, and then there are people living way below the pot- poverty line as well. Well, why is that? Well, it's because of the greed of humanity. So this is what Jesus is saying. It is difficult For a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, because a rich person does not want to let go of their riches. And the only way to come into heaven is to grasp the cross, to grasp onto Jesus. And you can't grasp onto Jesus if you're holding all your money. You have to be able to give some of it away. Now, listen to this Americans only give two point, the richest country in the world, only give 2.1% of their money away to charities. 2.1%. Now, you'd say, yeah, that's Americans, but Christians would do much better, right? Well, they do a little better. American Christians, the richest part of the global church, by the way, give 2.5%. So, we're slightly better than the rest of the, you know, Americans, Christians, barely give a little bit more. Now, here's another astonishing fact. Only 5% of Christians, churchgoers, tithe or more, 10% or more of their income give away. Now, do you think what Jesus is talking about here is relevant? It's very relevant. It's relevant to every Christian in this nation. It's relevant to every Christian in our church. That it's not just this rich young ruler that's holding on to his wealth and not loving his neighbors with it. It's us. We need to be confronted with this. And this is why it is difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, because once you have money, you think it's yours. And i got to have it, and I can't give it away, and this is mine, and they didn't earn it, why should I give it to them? And you think that way because you have not yet grasped the gospel with your money. The money hasn't, The gospel hasn't reached your money. It might have reached other parts of your life, but it hasn't reached your money yet. Well, um, listen to Jesus' il- illustration here. He says, again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Okay, so he's talking about a sewing needle, probably a little bigger than the sewing needles that we have today, but still, very small opening, the eye of the needle, tiny little opening on top of the the sewing pin, right? And he's saying it's easier to take an entire camel and push that camel through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I mean, just think about that. The only way to get a camel through a needle would be to dismantle the camel. I know this is disgusting, but dismantle the camel completely and take it apart to pass the micro pieces through the tiny little hole in the needle and then somehow reassemble this camel on the other side of it. In other words, it's impossible. Rich people can't be saved. But, thankfully, the next verse is in the Bible. Uh, When the disciples heard this, verse 25, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? They were saying the same thing, like, wait a minute. Like, if that's true, then nobody can get saved. Nobody's gets salvation. Well, listen to what Jesus said. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, the whole thing here, all of the commands of the rich young ruler, this discussion about wealth, uh, the conviction that we all feel about that, that, you know, you probably felt that a little bit as I was talking about that, was to draw us to the point to go, I can't do it. I can't let go of my money. I can't let go of my sins. I can't let go of my greed. I can't live for my neighbor. You have to come to that point. And you say, it, salvation with me is impossible. With man, it is, this is impossible. And then that leaves you with only one solution if you're a believer. But with God, all things are possible. See, it takes God reaching down into our lives. Once we understand that we can't do it, that we fall short, and it takes that moment where we're on our knees, broken before Him, it is there that we're able to hear grace. Until you get broken down, you won't hear grace. You'll hear it and go, oh, that's cool. Okay, so God forgives us? Cool, I'll just sin then. I'll just do whatever I want. Um, But when you really understand your inability, and you understand what God has done for you, and you understand how He loves you freely, that's when you start to change. That's when your lifestyle starts to change. That's when your money starts to change. When you really grasp the gospel of grace. And so Jesus says, the hope is God's salvation. The hope is not us. And I hope you hear what I'm saying. Every one of us is the rich young ruler. We've all broken God's commands, but yet we think that somehow we're pretty good. And what Jesus is trying to say, not because he's trying to shame us or guilt us or beat us up, by the way, but he's trying to give us a dose of reality so that we can come to him for forgiveness. He breaks us down so that he can lift us up. The law breaks us down, the gospel lifts us up. The law tills the soil, the gospel plants the seed. Uh, This is how God always works in our lives. So then Peter said in reply in verse 27, See, we've left everything and followed you. What then will we have? He's responding to what Jesus said to the rich young ruler. "If If you give up your possessions and come and follow me, put your faith in me, then you'll have eternal life. He's responding, and Peter's saying, wait, we've done that. So what you said to the rich young ruler, does that apply to us too? Will we have rewards for giving up everything and coming and following you? What then will we have? And I love how Jesus answers this because Jesus sympathizes with humanity. He sympathizes with human insecurity, human doubt, human uncertainty. He doesn't say hey, Peter, don't worry about it, or why are you even asking that question, or Peter, uh, uh, you know, he doesn't rebuke him. He sympathizes. And listen what Jesus says. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, let me stop there for a second. Our goal, heaven, eternal life, is a new world. Heaven is not an ethereal place where we float on clouds. It's when God's kingdom comes to this world, And this world becomes his kingdom. And everything that is broken about this world gets healed. And he reigns as king over this world in perfection. So this is what Jesus is saying here. Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will sit on his glorious throne. In other words, when I rule this world, that day after my second coming, you who have followed me, will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. There he is talking about specifically to the apostles what their role is going to be. But also for us as well, we know from other texts, that those of us who have given up things, given up money, given up time, given up effort for the kingdom of God, we will be rewarded. Especially, you know, living in this world, when you give something up, it feels like that's a loss. And in a certain sense, it is. It's a sacrifice. But... You're actually making an investment in eternity. You might live here for 90 years. You're going to live there for eternal years, forever and ever and ever. And so Jesus is saying, whatever you give up here, it's going to be given back to you in so many ways that you don't even understand. Like, I'm going to bless you in so many ways. You can't even dream how I'm going to bless you when my kingdom is set up in this world. So you're not losing anything when you give up your money here. You're not losing anything when you give your life for others here, when you obey that second table of the Ten Commandments. And and so he says this, verse 29, And everyone who has left houses, a house is a very (laughs) expensive item, right? Uh, Something that you take a lot of life to pour into to, to get. And he says, some of these people that were there, they had to leave their house to follow Jesus. Uh, maybe you left brothers or sisters or father or mother. You, you had to break off from your family system because your family system does not follow Jesus. He even says children. He's not talking about little children, though, here. Uh, there's a word in Greek he would have used for little children. He doesn't use that one. He's talking about adult children. In other words, he's saying, like, some of you might be tempted to not follow me because your adult children will reject you he said follow me anyway all that have given up their their, their relationships and families for my sake he says will uh, listen will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life so you, a hundredfold a hundred times whatever you gave up you will receive in the new heavens and the new earth and you will inherit eternal life now I want you to see the progression here it starts with breaking us down and then he says god can make it possible and yes there are sacrifices that you're making but those sacrifices are going to be rewarded by me it's it's a beautiful truth with god all things are possible now listen to this last verse cuz this last verse you know we come to the heights with jesus and go yes there's going to be rewards and this all all matters and everything that we're doing here matters, and salvation is of God. But Jesus ends this way to leave us uh, in humility and sobriety. He says, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. He means that in two ways, I think. First, what he means is those in this world that are famous and wealthy and powerful that we look to and go, man, I wish I had that life. Many who are first will be last. Don't get caught up in what you see in this world and think, oh, that's, that's all of it. That's it, especially in this town. I mean, we're in the epicenter uh, of wealth and fame. And if you try to live for wealth and fame in this city, or in any city, but in this city especially, you're going to be crushed. And so many people come here singing, seeking wealth and fame and don't get it, and they are crushed. Um, many who are first will be last. In other words, what he's saying is some of those people that are wealthy, they're actually not, not in the eyes of God. And they'll be last in the new heavens and the new earth. And then many who are last, and he's talking here about the disciples who would given up everything to follow him, you and I, many of us in our church, the Christians all over the world that give up so much to follow him, will be first. Okay, so there's one sense in which he's saying it. But then he's also saying this, unless we get spiritually proud. Because some of us might go, well, I've given up a lot. I tithe. I do more than a tithe. I I have loved my neighbors. I have given up everything, and I'm going to receive all these rewards. And that must mean I'm better than other people. And Jesus is warning us of that spiritual pride. And he says, if you think you're first, you might be last. So it leaves us in this place of humility. So where do we take all of this? The whole point of all of this is that salvation for you is impossible. Wholeness for you is impossible. You cannot make yourself better. You cannot heal yourself. You need God to come and do it. Because with God, all things are possible. All these things that are impossible for humans, God can do. God can save a rich man. God can save the the biggest... Atheists are the biggest you know quote sinner that you know. God can do anything with anybody and he has. It is impossible to save yourself. It is impossible to mature yourself, uh, but God has made the impossible possible by grace alone. How did he do it? Jesus came as the second Adam. The first Adam failed. Jesus came and succeeded. The first Adam disobeyed God. Jesus obeyed God. And he obeyed God in thought, word, and deed. He obeyed all of these commandments and all of the other commandments and thought, word, and deed from the time he was born until the time that he died. And the reason why that is important is because he earned the human righteousness that we need in a human life, and then he gives that to us. He earned it. And he gives it to us. And then what we earn, sin, he takes upon himself on the cross to forgive us. Uh, And then in the resurrection, when he comes up resurrected, he sends us the Holy Spirit so that we can lay down our lives for others, so that we can give up our money, so that we can follow him when everything is against us. Only with God are things like this possible. Uh, The gospel reveals to us only with God are these these things possible. And so for all of us, may we come to the end of ourselves. May we come to the point where we understand our need and cast ourselves upon God's mercy. And then once we understand we have that mercy, may we, like these disciples, give up whatever God is asking us to give up and come and follow Jesus and have eternal life in him because that is the reward we have life with him now eternal life with him now as christians and we will have life with him forever so we long for that day when he will come and he will heal it all let's pray heavenly father we come to you and um, we are aware that uh, we cannot meet the standard of your law. We cannot meet the standard of your holiness. And we can only have it if you give it to us. So Lord, we ask that you would give us your grace and your holiness. And then out of that holiness, we would live lives of sacrifice and mercy and generosity, and that we'll give and give and give until it hurts, not just with our money, but with our lives. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace and peace.